Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And as his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly... When they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, musicians. Thank you uh, to Jason for your hard work on that membership class. Thank you, those of you who elected to be membertized today. We are better because of you already. Um, we read that scripture because it is Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday before Ash Wednesday, uh, before the beginning of Lent. And, and let me say this uh, just in the way of getting some things out in front of us. It is really important that you are here Ash Wednesday. As a matter of fact, I would say because of the very specific nature of what will happen during Lent, let me be um, just audacious enough to suggest that if you have redefined regular attendance as once a month, that you would re-redefine that as every week. Because what God is doing is specific What God is doing is journey-specific. And in order to get all of these... Now, things happen. I know people get sick. There are things that are unavoidable, and it takes us out. And I understand all of that. We actually have a podcast that would allow you to stay uh, in step with where we're going as a church. But let me encourage you to invest, invest, invest in your part of your transformation toward Christ-likeness by being here. And so we read that scripture, but I want you to know I'm going to preach from a different scripture. So I acknowledge that this is Transfiguration Sunday, but I want to hook into another passage of scripture that we're going to work through, and it's found in Mark chapter 1. But before we do that, uh, I want to say that this is the last sermon in this particular series that has to do with uh, epiphany. 
And this season of Epiphany, let's see here, and yes, this season of Epiphany has to do with showing and making known and revealing what it is that God wants to do here. Another, there's another way to say that. We are trying as best we can during the season of Epiphany to broadcast the heart and the dream of God to broadcast the heart and the dream of God just as far and as wide as we can. I feel like in order to preach the sermon that I want to preach to you today, I have to lay a couple of ground rules so that we're all on the same page as we receive these verses. Here is the first thing I want to say to us. The gospel, this is not new if you've been here for any length of time, the gospel, the good news, the the word made flesh in Jesus, first of all, the gospel is Jesus, but the heartbeat, the dream of God is not just for souls and spirits. God has in mind a holistic sense of restoration and redemption. So we're not talking about souls. We're not talking about spirits. Absolutely we are. But when we use that language, we are not not talking about your bodies, your minds, your emotions. Hear this. Christianity. The Christianity that's practiced here and within our tradition, and we reaffirmed it this week at M15, and you'll hear more about that later. The Christianity that is affirmed here and reaffirmed here is holistic in nature. We are not just saving souls and letting somebody else deal with the rest of all of that. We are about whole creation, whole bodies, all of creation. What we're up to is creation-wide. Kind of need to hear you say amen there. Okay. Here's the next thing you should know. That our God has in mind healing. Our God has in mind that there would be healing. And yes, for all of creation, but including people, persons, individual persons. God has in mind, it is the heartbeat and the dream of God that you and I would be restored to the dream of God for our lives. It is the heartbeat of God that you and I would in fact be the very image of God, created in the image of God. God has in mind that we would be an image of God. And that means that there would be, and there would be the need for, healing in many situations. So God is concerned about you today If you have a disease or if your body is damaged and you are somehow less than whole, God is concerned about that today. And God is also concerned if you brought with you emotional or mental or spiritual or relational issues that cause you to be less than whole. And God's hope for you is healing. Healing. It is really hard to convince Christians to accept healing. Do you know why? Because for some reason, and I don't even pretend to know why this is, the church has become that place where you come and project a self that is good and right and perhaps even perfect, while at the same time, you know, as you look in the mirror, that you've got issues. Let, Let me tell you something. I love you deeply and dearly, and as your pastor, I love you enough to tell you, I know you have issues, (laughs) And you know I've got issues, right? Don't say amen there. Some of you said amen right there. (laughs) 
But Christians who believe that church is where you go to not tell people how broken you are, those same people are very hard to convince that the healing touch of God is available to them. If I, think about it, this is, this is as painfully practical as it gets, right? But some of you in the room are hesitant to come to the altar for fear that someone might know that you're not all that you're supposed to be, all that God dreams for you to be. Some of you will not avail yourself to the healing movements of the church because you're afraid of what someone might think. And I'm praying that that will be healed in us today. I'm praying that that will be healed in us today. Another, another little groundwork thing. Okay. If you come to one of these side altars, not only will you be loved and embraced by Walter Linda Crow, and there are a few things in life better than that. Okay. But then you will probably be doused with this oil. And by doused, I mean kind of lightly touched with one finger full of it, right? And let me tell you what, what, what happens and what we believe happens with this oil. We do not believe it to be some sort of magic elixir. We don't think if you come down with a cold, if you get the oil in just the right place, it will cure your cold. I'm sorry about that. Now, God can do whatever God wants to do. <laughs> But this oil is a tangible expression of the clinging nature of the presence of God in your life. That same God who aches for you to be whole, complete, healed. This oil, which you'll find is difficult just to wipe off, is representative of this God who will pursue you. So like the oil sticks to you and clings to you, this God and the heart of God is such that this God will stick to you and cling to you. And by the way, seek your healing along the way. Does that make some sense to you? Do you know that we believe in healing in the Church of the Nazarene? I am as nervous about, as you are about faith healers, but we believe in healing. Here's why. We believe in borrowed authority. When I was ordained, I knelt in front of whoever was gathered there at Bethany First Church that night, and a man uh, put his hands on the back of my head and I think pressed down so hard that my knees almost came off the ground. <laughs> and so I was fully aware that something was happening there. And the language in an ordination ceremony always makes mention of this borrowed authority. And then the things that we are asked to do as ministers and challenged and called to do as ministers. But you need to know that I know that what I do as a minister and to whatever extent I have authority, what I actually have is borrowed authority. It does not originate with me. And I'm completely and perfectly aware of that and comfortable with it. So when I am over here in the uh, baptismal pool and a guy who looks like John the Baptist is with me in the baptismal pool over here. <laughs> when Matt Hodge gets baptized, and I have the authority to baptize him into the fellowship of the church of God, but I have that authority because it's borrowed from God. 
It's borrowed from somebody else. As a minister, I, I get to uh, officiate, I think is the word, where the Lord's Supper is concerned. And Jason does too, and Walt does too, and so many other people do too. Brittany, everybody who is uh, licensed and ordained, we have this opportunity to officiate here and bless these elements whereby you and I have this increasing awareness of the presence of God that moves and changes things and does things and brings people toward healing. I have that authority, but I have it because it's borrowed. I stand right about here when I do a wedding. And I send good-looking couples down the aisle this way, right? Having just pronounced them man and wife. So I get to say things that change circumstances. And that is a heady thing. But I'm always careful to say, by the authority granted to me by the church of God. It's not my authority. God lends me God's authority so that I can speak a word that makes a difference. So far, so good? It's important that you hear, are with me so far because what I'm about to say is going to make you a little bit nervous. And I know this because it has made you nervous before when I have said this to you. Ready? When I have said this, when I have said, your sins are forgiven. By the way, your sins are forgiven. Now, I did not just forgive your sins. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't have that kind of authority. I have borrowed authority. I have borrowed authority. And I'm granted the opportunity by that borrowed authority to announce to you the heartbeat of God, the inclination of God, the hope, the passion of God, who forgives sins. And the forgiveness of sins, should you receive it, accept it, live into it, acknowledge it, the forgiveness of sins seems to have something to do with healing. Healing. So yes, I am nervous about faith healers too. They kind of weird me out, right? People who pop other people on the head and somehow they can do things. They couldn't like juggle, I don't know, and dance like they couldn't before. That, that. That makes me nervous. However, I do believe that people praying for people can mean healing when that authority is borrowed. When that authority originates with the God who seeks your healing, <laughs> with that God who seeks your wholeness and your completeness, I do believe, and Scripture says, and it's pretty clear, that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And let me tell you something. What righteous means there is not well-behaved. It means rightly connected. Amen. Rightly connected to the one who is authority. So who wants to be healed? Who knows as you sit where you are that you're in need of some healing now? You, maybe you are busy medicating yourself. And there are tons of different ways to medicate oneself. And by the way, I think, I think our electronics, this may be one of the ways that we medicate ourselves against the knowledge 
that we, in fact, need healing. Who needs to be healed of a bent toward perfectionism? Who needs to be healed of their fear that someone might know that you need healing? Who needs to be healed, anointed, where relational fracture is concerned? And absolutely, where the fractures in my body are concerned. Who needs to be healed in the hopes that God would, by God's authority, help me to overcome anxiety or depression? And by the way, we will say to you, we will say to you, the Spirit of God will stick with you through this process. But we hope this process also includes the other providential means and agencies whereby broken bones are set, whereby issues like anxiety and depression are dealt with in a therapist's office. We think all of that's a part of the healing power of God as well. Can I get an amen there? Who'd like to be healed? Later on in the service, there will be ample opportunity for you to receive a prayer for healing. We even have extra oil in case there are more people than normal who seek healing, restoration, who ache for wholeness, who ache to be what God aches for us to be. And that's the introduction. Okay, let's keep going here. And so this leper, very interesting. Now, we have to pay particular attention now to to how it is that Jesus responds. There's some interesting language stuff going on here. And we have to pay attention. And we have to allow ourselves to hear a story again, but perhaps for the first time. Because sometimes the worst thing we can do to Scripture is remember that we've heard this before. Because we kind of build in some filters and we expect that it will go the way that we expect for it to go. In fact, we force it to go whether we expect for it to go, and this may be different today. Jesus, having healed the person in the sanctuary, let's say, the man caught caught in an evil spirit, then Jesus, having healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus now moves farther out and exerts his healing power farther out into the world because all of creation belongs to this God. And so Jesus is out there trying to bring a sense of healing, and a leper came to him begging Kneeling, he said to him, I dare you to touch me and make me clean, which is really kind of what's being said here. If you want to, you could. There is almost built into the statement here, the leper's expectation that Jesus will not want to because the leper is unclean. You see, the religious institution had made a very serious point of expelling from the body those with this particular kind of disease so that those with this particular kind of disease then wouldn't be a danger to the other people in the body. And so these people with leprosy were not just pushed away, they were pushed out, out, Way outside the resources for help and healing and restoration, they were pushed so far out that they would no longer be a threat to the good, clean, nice people. 
Here it is in Leviticus 13. The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes, shall let the hair of his head be disheveled, and he shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And you do all of this as a service to the other good and still healthy people so that they will know to avoid you. Now, this is in Scripture, but for some reason, the institution, I'm going to say the church now, for some reason, it seems to be that Jesus, when the religious institution of the church takes this posture, it seems to infuriate Jesus. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So by the time we find ourselves in Jesus' era, they had perfected this. <laughs> they had pushed people way outside the boundaries, way outside of the resources for community and restoration. They were way out there. This guy assumed that Jesus, because he was unclean, would not touch him because Christians have a crazy way of believing that a little bit of impurity can overpower a lot of purity. I don't like this about us. And I don't mean just us gathered here today. I don't like this about us who have understood ourselves as Christian and worn the labels of Christian. We have somehow been able to canonize this thought that a little bit of impurity messes up a whole vat of purity. In other words, we have given impurity more power than purity. Think about it. Think about it. And here's the scary thing. Once we determine something or someone to be impure, we have had the capacity to tell ourselves, in order to maintain my purity, I must separate myself from you that I consider to be impure. There must be a healthy distance between the impure and the pure. Bless God. Right? Okay, just think about the person you believe to be impure. Think about the person you believe to be, for whatever reason, maybe it is a person who lives and has lived in abject poverty for a long, long, long time, so much so that you can smell it. Or think about the person who has lived in a lifestyle that you consider to be impure. I read a study this week that said <laughs> that people like us, if given opportunity to wear a coat or a sweater worn by someone that we think actually is impure, the study says that we are very unlikely to put on that coat or sweater, and here's why, for fear that somehow in wearing that other person's clothes, we might be made impure. It's incredible. And so the religious institution 
because it understood itself as a religious institution, said to this leprous man and to all people like him, said to him, we must protect our purity from your impurity. Therefore, if you don't mind, if you would just live outside the camp until you're better, that would be great. Says in your Bible, probably moved with pity. It could, it could say something different, though. <laughs> it could say something like, Jesus, furious, Jesus, angry, Jesus, indignant, stretched out his hand and said, yeah, I'm willing. And by the way, my healing touch my pure touch is stronger than your impurity. I actually think there may have been some pity in it, but I think there was more anger in it. Anger that the very people meant to embody the heart and the heartbeat of God would take an opposing view and somehow believe that their purity was at risk if they were to somehow come into contact with impurity. When Jesus said, no, when we get this right, we understand that the touch of God is more powerful than that which would make anyone impure. Now, I'm going to stop here because I want, you to, I want you to wrestle with that a little bit. I want you to ask yourself, do I believe this? Do we believe that the touch of Christ, do we believe that the touch of God is in fact stronger than impurity? Do you really believe it? Do I really believe it? Do we really believe it? As we calendar and as we budget do we believe that the impurity that we can see, we don't have to look hard to see the impurity around us, right? We don't have to look hard to see those things that might defile us, except that we have borrowed authority. Now, this is going to sound funny, and please don't take this out of context. We have this borrowed authority to touch. And sometimes I think we don't for fear of what it would do to us. And we're wrong. Immediately, strangely enough, the leprosy, the leprosy that knew who was boss left him and he was made clean. Now here's another one. <laughs> It's really nice. It sounds really nice to say, after sternly warning him, sounds like your favorite school teacher. Uh, after sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. He's going to send him back to the priest. But really, the words translated just as purely as we could would, would say something like this. Jesus snorted. It was this angry. Jesus snorted his response to this man. Now, was he angry at the man for having leprosy? Uh, no. 
He was angry at the religious institution that drew lines that excluded the people that needed them the most. So Jesus snorts. Now, by the way, by the way, Jesus in touching the leprous man would probably have been considered now unclean by that same institution. (laughs) Isn't that the way it works? Isn't that the way it works? Like when you find people who are willing to get their hands dirty, hands dirty in working with the folks who need us the most, Sometimes the opposition doesn't come from the folks outside the church. Sometimes the opposition comes from folks inside the church or another church. I wonder if Jesus still snorts at us. (laughs) I wonder if Jesus is at times still snorting mad with us. Have you ever been snorting mad about anything? Teachers, yep, Friday. Jesus was snorting mad here. But not at the leper. Go show yourself to the priest, the one who sort of signed the orders to have you excommunicated and pushed out. Go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. In other words, go show them what has happened to you and at least make a statement, though it will probably be in a hostile situation, at least make the statement that there is a new sheriff in town. Redefining words like in and out clean and unclean, good ministry and bad ministry. There is a new sheriff in town and you go tell them, I said, heaven's coming with me. You tell them I'm here and heaven's coming with me. If you know what I'm talking about there, say, okay, yeah, all right. I love that movie, Tombstone, Tombstone. Okay, but the guy did not follow directions. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly but stayed out in the country and people came to him from every quarter. Here, here it is. Jesus couldn't go back in town. Was it because he was just too popular? It's possible. Possible that there are just too many people now. Or is it because this man has now said something that now implicates Jesus in this uncleanness thing? It could be that, too. Maybe it's both. But notice this. For whatever reason, Jesus didn't go back into town, but the people in need of healing came to him. And the people who would not come to him perhaps did not get healed. So when I ask the question, who wants to be healed, the truth of the matter is, the answer is, not all of us, not all of us. Some of us have grown more accustomed to the disease. Some of us have grown more accustomed to the distance we are from the heart of God, and we are quite happy medicating ourselves with medication or technology, thank you very much. But all who seek out and pursue this Jesus Man.
I want to end where we started. In the next chapter, there is a huge crowd, huge crowd, so big that this paralyzed man, they couldn't get him to Jesus. And so they destroyed the house. (laughs) They pull the roof off the house and they lower this man down in front of Jesus and Jesus seems to be amazed by their faith. They insist on making themselves available to the God who seeks their healing. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your legs are good now. No, what he said to him is, son, I love that there, (laughs) this term of endearment. It is a term by which Jesus claims this one. You see that? Jesus claims him as his own and said, your sins are forgiven. I don't know. People like Ron will have a whole lot more to say. And people like Katie will have a whole lot more to say on how it is that we are such whole persons that the forgiveness of sins would have an impact on our being healed. That People will have something more to say about that than I will. I'll just say this. It does work like that. Amen. <laughs> that perhaps necessary component of your being healed of whatever is you hearing as the God of the universe perfectly reflected in the face of Christ says to you through a person who is just borrowing authority here it comes be ready your sins are forgiven and because they are any healing is possible Now, I can't tell by your silence if you're stunned by that or if you just don't believe it. But your sins are forgiven. And there is available to you the healing presence of the Spirit symbolized by a dash of oil. What are you doing uh, this Wednesday night? I don't think that the entirety of the Lenten season will be or has to be dark. I do think Ash Wednesday is a tough night. Because we receive, and, and the word is actually imposed, the ashes are imposed, the imposition of ashes which mark us as guilty people. Is everybody aware of that? Nowhere else on the planet are there a bunch of people who are going to get together and mark themselves so that the public can see that they recognize their own guilt. Only the weird Christians do that kind of thing. But we will gather Wednesday night and identify, willingly, voluntarily identify as people who sin. I am. Wait a minute, you're our pastor. Pretty sure if I understand the sanctification thing, and you probably don't. Neither do I. (laughs) Neither do I. What I know is I want to be like Christ. So much so that I'm willing to confess those areas in my life that aren't yet like Christ, and let's go ahead and call those sin. 
And I'm willing to be marked in this public place as a person who is on that journey toward healing of which forgiveness of sins is just a part. So the Lenten journey is not just a journey, it's not just a descent into guilt. It is the acknowledgement of our need, our need for healing. And we will walk together toward healing and wholeness. If you are serving the meal, if you would come and make preparations now. I ask you to think about different things along the way as we come to the table every week. I ask you to think about different things. I'm going to ask you to think about a couple of different things today. Good luck. First, I want you to recognize that each week, and we do this now each week, in fact, we do it twice every Sunday. They're so faithful to do it in the Word and Table congregation, and now here, the 1030 service. Each week, we participate in a ritual that reminds us of our forgiveness. That is part of what's going on. It's not all that's going on, but it is at least a major part of what is going on. You receiving these elements, broken body and shed blood, are also participating in this ritual whereby you should be reminded that you are forgiven. But I want you to understand your forgiveness as part of God's overarching move to heal you today. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and buy them. Move us, shape us to be the forgiven and healed people of God. We say this every week. These side padded altars are reserved for prayers for healing. And sometimes they are very well attended. Sometimes there's one here and one here. Sometimes there's two here and one here. But I would submit on this last day of Epiphany, heading into the Lenten season, that perhaps more of us than that need this prayer for healing. So all of the altars today will be available for prayers for healing. Now you can come to the altar and not receive the anointing of oil, that's fine. You certainly can. But we'll be hovering like we do. We'll be hovering. And all we need is just a little bit of a glimpse, a little bit of a hint, and we're going to be quick to anoint you with oil and pray for you that God would heal you. I would encourage you today to consider very strongly finding a place here to pray. Once you have received the bread and the cup, and we're about to do that, and I'll walk you through that ritual, but after you receive the bread and the cup, you'll have opportunity to start the process of healing. I would encourage you to think very seriously about finding a place to pray somewhere in here, and then somebody, whether it's me or Jason 
There's so many others that we have here. We're blessed to have so many ordained elders here. If you're an ordained elder and you would like to help us pray these prayers for healing, we have, we're, we're ready to deputize you immediately. We have extra things of oil here. Please help us to do that. Because I think we need to be healed. And more importantly, I think God wants to heal us. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body. My body literally broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. And church, remember today that you are forgiven. Later on, he took the cup and he held it before them and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember, remember me. And church, today, remember, you eat and drink and participate in this ritual to remember that you are, in fact, the forgiven. So would you stand and come forward with your hands cupped, exit your pew to the left. With your hands cupped, the bread will be placed into your hand. Dip it into the cup. And then think hard about finding a place to pray. We want to continue in some of these moments of prayer, but we're going to move to a few moments of corporate prayer. You've had these moments to pray for uh, healing. Just a few moments of guided prayer. But you in these moments would ask God to heal every broken place in your life. As Pastor John has said that is not just our physical brokenness. That can be relational, that can be emotional, that can be spiritual. Just ask God, heal all of my broken places. Sometimes it's hard to be healed from that which you don't want to be healed from. So it's a prayer that's been around the OKC First Church for quite a few years now. If you want to be want to healed, say that prayer. Jesus, help me to want, to want to be healed. That might be the best prayer you could pray. Not quite ready to want to be healed. But God, help me to want, to want to be healed. Corporately, we want to pray for a few folks who need God's rescue and touch and healing. They've been prayed for this morning already and specifically want to pray for Iris and just her life and just ask that God heal every broken place. Our cave in June. We love that Adam's family, Angela's here. June's gone home. 
June discovered um, on Friday that she has cancer. And I've already anointed Angela and RK this morning for healing. But corporately, together, know and pray for June. Ask that God would heal her. There's so many more, but you've prayed for them already. That name that God has given you right now in your mind and in your heart, pray for their healing. And again, it can be physical, but it can be emotional, mental, spiritual, and relational. God, we ask that you would allow us to be your healing presence in our neighborhood, in our city, our nation, and around the world. And we pray for those people who are using the borrowed authority to touch and to heal and to bring light into dark places and bring healing to brokenness. So God, give us the strength and go before us in your grace that we together may heal your broken world and bring all things back unto you. God, give us the strength to do it, and part of that strength is the words that we pray each and every week, and we'll pray this morning using debts and debtors. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.